0: Bart, I've asked him not to whistle that annoying tone.
1: Yo everybody and welcome to episode 16 of Simpsons is greater than your favorite Simpsons podcast I don't, I don't actually think that's true but I'm going to say it anyway as always I'm your host Warren better known to some of you as Bart of Darkness you might have seen my Simpsons collection on Instagram and Twitter be honest it's great isn't it go ahead and say it's great if you want to but if not it's no big deal just uh, when you're done with this one go check it out it's fine but anyway, let's get into the interview, and today's episode is with Michael Price. Michael's been writing on The Simpsons for the last 18 years. He also co-created F is for Family. He's worked on Our Real Monsters, The PJs, and just a ton of other stuff. So let's listen to the interview. Episode 16. Let's go. Hey, Michael. How's it going, man?
0: Hi, Warren. Thanks for having me on.
1: Oh, man. Thank you so much for coming on. It's going to be an absolute blast. Um, you know, how have uh, things been going for you lately? How's the how has quarantine been for you?
0: Well, uh, you know, as good as can be expected. I mean, the, it's terrible, of course, everywhere. Uh, the good thing for uh, me personally and, and for the Simpsons and just anyone working in animation is that we were able to continue uh, working on the show. Our last day working together in the room, in the actual writer's room at The Simpsons was like uh, March 5th or something like that. And, and then at the time I remember saying like, we're all gonna go virtual. And a lot of us were like, oh, that's ridiculous. Well, come on, you know, and then within like three days, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, this, this was the right thing to do. So uh, it's been virtual since then. And in the interim, uh, we just got ordered for uh, one more season of Efforts for Family. So I've been running, I, I, left, I left The Simpsons full time uh, they let me go. They let me kind of go and come back. So uh, my last, my last uh, day working on The Simpsons full time was around um, the end of August. So we've been working on getting the new season of Family together ever since then, running that virtually as well. Zoom everything, Zoom writing room, Zoom table reads, Zoom recordings, and uh, somehow we're able to make it work. So wow, I'm very, I'm very happy for that. You know. Uh, and then otherwise, otherwise we're all in good health, and you know, we're my family, and we're just trying to do our best to uh, to do the right thing. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's a sort of a depressing question that I've opened a lot of these with, but you know, it's something we're all living with. So I like to make sure everyone's doing okay.
0: <laughs> no, thank God. I mean, no one, I mean, uh, no one really close to us has gotten it. You know, we have some friends, my, my wife has some friends back in, she's from Indiana. She has some friends and, and relatives back there who have been dealing with it. And we have a really good friend in New York, uh, who, uh, he's doing okay now, but he was in the hospital for, for quite a while with it. So wow. it's, it's a very scary thing.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, not to change topics too quickly, but <laughs> uh, before we get into The Simpsons, you know, you mentioned F is for Family. I do want to talk about that a little bit. You were just renewed for a fifth season. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, what has it been like working on that show?
0: Oh, what a dream. What a dream come true. Uh, you know, because I've been doing this for writing, you know, TV, like going on 25 years now. I mean, my first job was in more than 25 years. My first job was in 1994. and it's been really fun it's been really exciting and to work on the simpsons you know one of the all time great shows has been such a thrill but everyone has their own wants to get their own thing going you know and i tried many times over the years i had pilots that i tried to write pilots that i pitched pilots that i got to write nothing ever got nothing ever got through like that process you know so this was the first one and it's very personal to me even though you know it originated with bill for uh, you know based on his ideas and his childhood and his family when they were looking to develop it uh, Bill had no experience you know writing for television or writing for animation so um they wanted to team him up with someone so I, I was very lucky to get that call and also very lucky to meet with Bill and we hit it off and we had a good time and we had shared a lot of the same sensibility and some of the same experiences growing up so we, we get to collaborate on it and uh so it is very personal to me a lot of it is based on my life, my childhood, my neighborhood, growing up in New Jersey, my neighbors—I throw in names of old, old teachers now and then, you know. So, but it's also emotionally about that time and about what it's like being in a family like that. Although my family is—if <laughs> my family members are listening—we're nothing like that family. You know, we don't yell and scream. <laughs> my father never yelled or threatened to put me through a wall. But um, but there's a lot of resonance there, and so not only to be able to get to do it, but to have it go uh, five seasons on Netflix and uh and also to work with these amazing people i mean, first and foremost bill uh who is just an incredible guy he's so funny he's such a wonderful collaborator he's a really good friend um we're, we're taking this on sunday after he just did Saturday night live uh, last night hosted it and i thought he was oh, yeah. tremendous and uh i'm so happy for him and uh so to, to have uh, not just a working relationship but a friendship with someone who i consider like one of the great guys not just a great comedian but great actor but writer but a great guy it's really been a, a thrill and and we have amazing writing staff and amazing uh, performers and actors i've got to work with some of the my favorite actors and it's just been a just a, a dream and i'm 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 sorry that it's you know it looks like it's coming to an end you know we're, this is our last season on netflix and uh you know so it's a little bit bittersweet but uh it's been it's been incredible i love every minute of it
1: yeah i mean talk about a stacked cast of of just funny people on that show it's really Really tremendous and a great show, Michael. Anyone that hasn't seen it, I find that hard to believe, but it's such a funny show. Make sure, you, I mean, no better time to get in now before That's the last
0: right. season. So. That's right. That's right. The last season will come out uh, roughly a year from now, like like probably uh, in time for the next Thanksgiving of, of 2021.
1: Nice. And hopefully the world will be a little less terrible by then.
0: Yeah. I mean, my my hope is that, you know, because because we are coming to an end, that, you know, a year from now, next November, we're able to have like a huge party, a huge final party, you know, for the whole show and everything. We all get together again, because even though I mean, Zoom is, is an amazing thing, because even though I see all these people every day and I know them already, which is which helps. But like me for the first time, but but like it's still it, there's nothing there's nothing takes the place of, of being there in person. You know, so we have a chance to all get together again and, and kind of bring the show to an end all together. That would be uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that.
1: Yeah, that would be great. I mean, having writers, you know, on on the podcast and talking to them about the process, they do talk about how it's a little more efficient to do things the way they are in some ways. But there's nothing quite like being in the room. You don't get that. You can't bounce jokes the same way. It's just it's a you know quite an adjustment. I can totally understand that.
0: Absolutely, or even just those little moments of like, you know, I'll have a moment where we'll be in the we'll be in the room together, and then step out for a second to get a soda, or whatever, and then. The guys passing by i think of an idea hey wait what about this you know or you know or <laughs> someone will be working on a script in their office i can just walk in and say now it's like let's arrange a zoom let's you know whatever like that you know so it, it's different for sure but thank god we're able to get it done i mean if if, if if this uh horrible pandemic had hit like i don't know 20 years ago i don't know we'd all be in trouble <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, think I, whole, mean... I think the whole world would be in trouble uh, more trouble than it is now, you know, like in terms of being able to get things done.
1: Yeah. When I, when I had Al Jean on uh, a great episode, anyone who hasn't listened to it yet, please do. He was saying, you know, if this had happened 10 years ago, I, I don't know what would have happened to the Simpsons.
0: Right, and it's, it's,
1: crazy. Well, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, how Michael Price got into comedy writing, you know, what, what put you on that path?
0: Sure. Well, you know, g- it goes back to me being a kid and, for whatever reason i did not grow up in a showbiz atmosphere or anything you know just a regular kid growing up in jersey my dad worked for a construction company and, and uh, he worked on heavy paving equipment and my mom you know was uh you know 1960s whatever you know housewife and i just love tv i am just like from from childhood i just like gravitated to the tv all the time and I loved it. I love comedy, especially. I, I, I remember as a little kid, like watching old, old, like silent movies, because they would show like, like old, like Keystone cop movies or whatever. And I thought those were funny <laughs> uh, but, and old cartoons like Bugs Bunny cartoons and, and uh, Flintstones and you name it. Because um, I grew up in the New York area before, before cable, when it was basically five, cha- or five or six channels. There were three network channels and there were three local channels and there was the, the PBS channel. Um, And the local channels would have just nothing but reruns, original programming. (laughs) It was all just old movies, old reruns of Batman and, and, you know, Gilligan's Island and whatever. The Odd Couple. And I just, like, went crazy for it. I watched it all the time. And I had this weird kind of um, uh, head for, like, learning everybody's names. I think, you know, I have an older son. He's in his 20s. Uh, He's on the autism spectrum. And um, I think that I might be, too, in some way. I was never diagnosed that way uh because sometimes people on the spectrum have what's called an area of interest where they like they get really into something and and for my son for the longest time it was uh trains you know so we used to take trains all the time um for me it was that for me it was like learning the names of every actor on a show you know or learning the names of like uh, watching watching Bugs Bunny cartoons like knowing who Chuck Jones was you know versus who Frizz Freeling was versus who uh who did Beanie and Cecil um Shoot, I'll remember his name soon. But uh, like knowing knowing their style and knowing who this was, and knowing who this was, you know, knowing who Carl W. Stalling was, who did the music, you know, for those things, or like watching like uh, watching the Munsters and knowing the names of not just the main cast but like the character actors, like there was there were all these guys that were like in all the shows back then. There was a guy named Parley Bear. Oh, that's Parley Bear. Like I mean, who it's, it's like complete. I was like IMDb as a kid before IMDb existed. <laughs> um, and so I didn't, it was all just the thing of like, I just loved all this stuff. I would go to the local library of town and, and like look at books and everything, but I don't know what, what that meant. You know, it didn't really, I wasn't like thinking about, this is going to be my career someday. Sure. So then, uh, so I went to high school and, and in college and became a theater major in college. And then I went to graduate school for theater as well. I learned how to be a theater director, but even then, I, so all I wanted to do was comedies. You know, I would just, my, my professors would be like, why don't you try try this you know try this tragedy i want to do comedy you know so i really just wanted to do comedy (laughs) my favorite directors for stage directors were comedy directors and then what happened was that i started getting into doing improv and sketch comedy in new york this is like back in the late 80s early 90s and that's where i finally found like a thing where i knew i was sort of funny i i i I like to sort of make jokes with just generally in life and then it became a thing of like oh this is how you turn it into a thing that you can do you know so i It was this place in New York York City called Gotham City Improv, which was based on the groundling style of uh, learning how to do improv. And it was basically training you to be like a Saturday Night Live style sketch writer through improv games where you do an improv game. They're fooling around on the fly. You come up with a funny line or a funny situation or a funny character. And they would say, "Okay, now go home and write. Write that out, like make that into a scene, that thing that you just came up with in the improv exercise. Now write a scene for that. You know, so it was like t- taking, teaching how to take a spontaneous idea and then like kind of craft it into a, a sketch, which was all based on like us being in a performing company where we would do a show at a nightclub and get people to come in and pay for two drink minimums or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. And then, um, I finally, I'm like, my, I'm like 30 years old by this point at 31 or something. I'm like, this might be a thing. Like, maybe this might be what I want to, how I could sort of find a way to, to make a living, you know? And um, so I had a friend who we became writing partners and we wrote a show together, a two person show that we took some of the sketches from this group. And we, we um, turned it into like our own little act, like a nightclub act that we did in New York city. And um, people liked it and saw it and they said, oh, you should come to LA and we'll help you, we'll help you find a place to showcase it in LA. So that was kind of all we needed to be like, okay, here we go. We're going, you know, like uh, I know. I had like all kinds of weird <laughs> uh, survival jobs. I was working as a proofreader at a law firm uh, in New York, uh, like a midnight to eight o'clock shift. So I, was oh, like, wow. I, got, I got nothing else going on. Let's, this is it. Let's go for it. You know? So we kind of rolled the dice and we um, put everything in a car and drove out to LA. We had, we knew some people there. So we were crashing on people's couches and, and we knew some people who helped us sort of get a manager, who helped us get an agent, who helped us then sort of put our show up and showcase it. And um, that was our first introduction to what like the business was. And, and it was very kind of a, a weird thing because we were, I thought we were really good. Um, and everyone thought we were good. And so suddenly this agent was filling our ears with like, okay, here we go. We're going to do this thing. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we had this big <laughs> showcase at the uh, Comedy Store on Sunset Boulevard. But everyone from every everyone from all over town came. It was like it was around this time of year. It was around October of uh, ninety two, uh, I think. So um, everyone came. We were dynamite. We killed. Everyone came backstage later. Oh my god, you guys are great! And like we got meetings, meetings, meetings. Like all these meetings set up at every network. And I was like, here we go, <laughs> Kachin. You know, literally like the, the, the signs were going off in of my eyes. You know? <laughs> and then we weren't we weren't prepared at all for what happened next. It was that we had these meetings where. They said your show was so great the other night; it was wonderful. And we thought, okay, yes. Now, now you make that show into a TV show. And they're like, well, what else have you got? What are your what are your sitcom ideas? And we had the, <laughs> we anything. We literally had nothing. And it kind of all stopped. Like it, we we had one more meeting another place and we came back with like like we came we put together like a stupid idea in like three days, which we should have been spending like a year coming up with this idea, you know. But <laughs> and we went back, and they're like, it was all over, you know, and. Uh, and it was a real hard thing. And, um, so my partner, she was more attractive and she, she's very funny and she was a much better actor and a performer, like a more commercial kind of performer than I was. And I really liked the writing part of it better. So I said, I'm not going to worry about being a performer anymore. And so she, we kind of split up our act, but we, the act got us out, out here, LA, you know? Right. So, um, she focused on, her part and i said i'm just gonna i'm not leaving i'm not going back to new jersey now I'm, there's no way in a million years am i gonna like you know drive my car all the way back <laughs> across to new jersey and like tell my mom and dad you know well, it didn't work out i guess I'll get a job whatever somewhere you know so i was like i'm here by hell or high water i'm either gonna find a way to make a living or i don't know what i'm gonna do but it, you know whatever so i kind of gave myself like a little bit of like a, like a deadline like okay if i don't get something going by x date you know by whatever a year or two from now i'll think about it i took more crazy jobs i was a a taxi driver in hollywood or west hollywood i crazy stories from that i did like phone oh my god i'm sure i did like phone mark phone scammy kind of telemarketing jobs (laughs) one time i was so poor it was around christmas time and uh i needed money really badly and i saw i saw one of those ads on like a telephone pole with like the you know the, the numbers you pull off, right. and it was for a guy. It was for a guy who was studying. I wish I stayed in touch with this guy. It was just a guy who was studying to get his, his license as a barber, like at barber college or something, you know. And so he needed someone <laughs> to be his final exam at barber college. And this is one I had hair, like I don't. You'll you'll see it right now. I don't have much hair right now. So what I did was I went with this guy. I did. I never met him before, and we just drove in a car together out to like. In this big, giant, like a massive barbershop with like with like fifty barber chairs, <laughs> <And> <laughs> I just sat there and the gave me a haircut and I got fifty dollars. But I was like, now I can go back home for Christmas with nice hair and fifty bucks, you know. So that's that's how bad it was. And but meanwhile, all it was like just writing, I kept writing like sample material, like spec scripts of, of existing shows that were on TV, and I compiled like a uh, a packet of SNL style. Sketches and uh, I felt I saw the agent, which was the main thing. Like it, we got the agent, the first thing that happened almost was like what happens for most people it takes a while to get. That happened first, so i had the agent still, who was still for whatever reason thought I, you know, I could I could do something. So um, <laughs> and finally, like after it felt like forever, but it was almost like two years. Finally, got one of my my sketch packet got through to a guy who was putting together a a low budget kind of like. Um, Syndicated half-hour SNL-style sketch comedy show that was called the News N E W Z. There was a time back then in the early mid '90s where they decided to do all these like half-hour. They were called strip shows, meaning they were on like five nights a week. And there was there was ours. There was John Stewart had a had a talk show. It was called like the John Stewart Show. It was before he did uh, Daily Show. Mm -hmm. It was after his MTV one. For whatever reason, they decided to do that this this particular year, and our show got in there. And so I got hired. I remember going in for this meeting with this guy and uh, I was super tired because I was working the midnight shift again uh, as a taxi driver. And the guy read my stuff and he said, yeah, we're starting on Monday, you know, for two weeks. Can you do it? And I was like, I'll do it. You know, so I was so excited. And that, that turned into a job. It, it lasted for a couple of months. And then uh, that didn't last. I mean, it got, the show got canceled, but shows got canceled. But it just turned into, I was suddenly kind of on the way. And I met a guy there on that show who, uh, uh, was also at the time, when that show ended, he, he'd already moved on. He'd gotten a job at a, a cartoon show on Nickelodeon called uh, Real Monsters, uh, Real Monsters. And love that show. We, oh, thanks, yeah. Because we need some freelance guys on that. You know, you want to write a freelance episode. I was like, yeah, sure. So I went in there. That was my first animation, was doing that. You know, and all these people who I worked with on that show, they all went on to, like, amazing careers. Like, that guy, his name is David Litt. He, he worked on a bunch of stuff, but then he co-created The King of Queens, the show with Kevin James. So like, you know, so, you know, he set forever with that show. But uh, he was a great guy with a lot of good people on those shows. And um, what happens is that if, if you do well as a writer, if, you're, if you if you can do the job and you can get along with people, then, you know, one thing kind of leads to the next. Or this guy thinks you for that thing. And that's sort of what happened. But I was still kind of writing all this spec material. And, and um, finally, I wrote a spec script of news radio which i love me too great show and it, yeah it was such a great, such a great show and that was the one that kind of like broke through for me a little bit somebody at disney read it they liked it and i got hired on this show that was on the upn network which became the cw kind of combined with wb become cw right anyway the show was called homeboys in outer space and it was like a silly kind of ridiculous kind of i don't know satirey whatever thing about homeboys in outer space. So uh, <laughs> it was really fun. I was so excited to be on a primetime show. Again, there were great people on that staff. The two guys who created um, American dad, Mike Barker and Matt Weitzman were on that show with me uh, and uh, younger people starting out and some guys who had, had like been in the business for a long time. But the main thing is that on that show were uh, Mike Reese and Al Jean. So, so Al and Mike, they'd done their, their time at the Simpsons. They'd done the critic. And they got a uh, two or three year overall development deal with Disney, uh, which enabled them to work for Disney. They still consulted at The Simpsons, I believe. Right. Um, this, this would be around like season, like the Oakland Wine Weinstein. Yeah, around
1: five, five through seven.
0: Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. So they were working on their overall deal at Disney. And so part of that is they were spending their time like developing ideas for shows. But also, Disney would say, we want you to work like one or two days a week on one of our existing shows as consultants. So they were consultants on Homeboys in Outer Space. That's where I met them for the first time. Uh, and of course, I knew who they were. I was like in awe of them because I knew I knew them from Simpsons and everything and The Critic. So but they were really nice. They were great guys. And uh, they liked me. And then one of the shows they developed for Disney was called Teen Angel. And that got picked up by ABC. And then when that got picked up, they hired me to be on the staff of that show. And then that show only lasted a season, uh, although it was a lot of fun. Again, right after that, I was, I was still working there and then I got like a little bit of an overall thing at Disney where basically like I was guaranteed to work on some kind of Disney show for like the next two seasons. And because of that, I got on the PJs, which was the Eddie Murphy Playmation show. at Bob. Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. Alan, Mike, yeah, I love that show. <laughs> Alan, Mike worked on that as well. That was a lesson they did as part of their overall deal at Disney. And then when that ended, they went back to the Simpsons and then, you know, Al, Al stayed full time. Mike became more of a consultant, which is what he still does. And um, long story short, I'm trying to make it super long story. It no <laughs> nah, it's short. okay,
1: Mike. It's okay.
0: Gigantically long story, <laughs> only a little less long. Like a year or so after that, and I'm working on another show. Um, this show called "What About Joan," which starred Joan Cusack, and we shot it in Chicago. And um, it was a very interesting experience. It was hard on my my me personally because we. We kind of all moved kind of part way to Chicago to, to work on the show. And my family was back in L.A. I, my, my young son was like only three years old. So it was hard because I was like I would fly back and forth every other weekend to see them. They, they, for, because of his schooling, he couldn't just decide, like, we're going to move, move the whole family to Chicago. Plus, we right. didn't know if it was going to last. Anyway, I got a call one night and the phone just rang and it was Al Jean. I was like, hey, Al, how you doing? And we kept in touch. He's like, oh, yeah, bad, you know. Well, uh, it was around this time again, like October of 2001. And, um, he said, uh, well, you know, uh, uh what, what are you up to? I said, like, well, I'm on the show, you know, he goes, well, um, we're starting a new season of Simpsons soon. And there's some people have left and, and are you interested in coming on the Simpsons? And I was like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, yeah, because well, I said, well, I, I think this show, this junkie sex show is maybe like we're on the verge of possibly getting canceled because we were, the ratings weren't great. And he's like, well, uh, if it does, let me know if you're available, let me know. So, um, that was literally like a week, three or four days later, that the show got canceled. And I got on the phone right away. I called, Hey, Al, it's me. Like, <laughs> You're still, is that job still available? And he's like, yeah, it is. He's like, I'll do it. You know? So, uh, Amazing. that was October of 2001. And, and I started me and Stuart Burns. I don't know if you've had a chance to meet Stuart, Not but yet. he and I started on the, on the same day, which was like December 20th or 21st of 2001. It was literally like a Friday afternoon for whatever reason we started that day. We worked one day and then it was like, okay, Christmas Christmas vacation. <laughs> and we had two weeks off for Christmas. And I was like, I like this job. <laughs> <laughs> Work one day, take two weeks off. But it was a really happy Christmas. I was able to tell everybody, hey, I'm working on The Simpsons now, you know. And, and uh, so, so started in earnest, you know, right after the beginning of the new year in 2002. And uh, there you go.
1: That's amazing. Well, that, and that's, I, I love the little, the way you wrapped it up because that actually was my next question, but it's, it's still a relevant question. Aside from, you know, you explain what brought you to the show and Al knowing you from other work and things like that. But what was your relationship with the Simpsons prior? Like, were you a big fan? It sounds like you were into it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say, I remember seeing it for the first time uh, on the Tracy Ullman show uh, before, uh, before I was even doing, comedy like i hadn't even started doing like the improv stuff but I, I was with friends doing theater and i was aware of matt Mac, Mac graining and his work right i knew who was st- i knew what his stuff was and a friend of mine had given me his books like the com- complete set of his three life in hell books it was called like big box of hell or something i think i love those I,
1: books they're so they're so good still yeah
0: i thought they were all really good really really funny so i knew who matt was i knew his work and then i saw the simpsons like oh this is really good you know and then whatever it was all part of just because Fox was a brand new thing then. So I was really into watching what was going on there. And then suddenly it was a show. It was the actual show. By this point, I'm now starting to do comedy. and I'm doing improv comedy, hanging out with all these really funny people. And I remember I was with a bunch of people in New York at our improv uh, class or whatever. And they were like, let's go back and watch The Simpsons, you know. And, and it was right after it started running. It was like March or April of 1990, I guess. Like this one, right. like Christmas show was Christmas of 89. And it started running for real like in December or January or so of 1990. So it was around right. that time. And we'd all done a thing in the afternoon. It was like a nice, it was like an April or something. And we were all hanging out. He's like, let's go back to our house. The Simpsons is coming on." So we went back to this guy's apartment and we watched The Simpsons. And I can't remember which one it was. I tried to figure out which one it was, but I remember just watching it. And every, at the time, they were all like, and they were all comedy people who were really you know, knew, knew what was going on. They were like, this is amazing. What This is incredible. Oh my God, everybody loved it. It was like quoting it, you know, it was incredible. And everyone's talking about how they're going to write specs of it and everything, you know, and they're all working, <laughs> talking about it. And and so that was my first initial knowledge of it. And so I would watch it whenever I could. So I was oh, yeah. certainly aware of what was going on. I, I knew I knew how good it was. Uh, I have a really good memory of working on the PJs because the, the, the co-creator of the PJs with Larry Wilmore, Steve Tompkins, who, who worked on the uh, with Oakley and Weinstein, right. and so he was he was still really close with those guys, and they were developing Mission Hill at the time. So we we're working on the PJ, so he would be on the phone with them, or they we would see pictures of the characters for Mission Hill. And we're like, oh, those, these guys look great, and everything.
1: Mission Hill, one of the one of the most underrated shows ever, I think.
0: Fantastic show, a fantastic way ahead of its time, I think, in, in that kind of culture of, of you know hipster culture and everything. Really crossing
1: my fingers that they get it brought back. I know they're trying to. I really really hope so. I
0: I believe I hear that they are. I don't know. I, 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 this is a complete offshoot, but I, I got to know Bill just a little tiny bit because his daughter went to school with my son, like in preschool. So I would see him occasionally at like oh wow, birthday parties. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Like that kind of thing. But I, I wouldn't say I was close to him in any way. Bill's great. Yeah. And then my other, my son went to high school with uh, Josh Weinstein's uh, son or daughter. So like they know each other. Wow. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so it's a small, whatever. It's a small world out here. But I remember, like them watching The Simpsons, the the um the Easter Bible stories. Yeah, I remember watching it, and and like and like Steve, like looking at it, and watching it, and saying, "Oh, this is so good." Oh, I remember, like I remember Steve, like, "Oh, this is so good," where Skinner is dictating a letter and he's eagle bird eye, whatever, like that. <laughs> anyway, so I remember thinking how good it was, and then we watched, we all watched together as a staff, the behind the laughter episode, and and uh, how good that was. So I knew, I knew how good, I knew, I mean, I knew the the, the reputation of it for sure but when i started when i got the job then suddenly i had i knew i had like a two months or so to sort of get ready i i knew i'd been hired like in october but it, it took me to december to start so uh i just I got my hand i watched it every night then i just made, made sure to watch it every night and then I, I got vhs's whatever they were vhs tapes at the time yep. so i watched those to sort of catch up on it there was a whole knowledge of the show that was beyond the uh, I'll, I'll say this now. I mean, I think I can say it now after being there for 20 years. <laughs> I wasn't sure which one was Lenny and which one was Carl. <laughs> I, know that, I know that Homer does that thing where he has on his hand like Carl equals black Yeah, you know, I was kind of like that. I just called them Homer's friends. Oh my you know? God, that's great. And, uh, and and my very first day uh, working in the room, Ian Maxtone Graham was, was running the room and uh, we were working on the episode that became the 300th episode. It's called Barting Over, the one with Tony Hawk. Oh, yeah. uh, Where Bart sues Homer for Emancipation over the... He stole the money from that commercial he was in. So, um...
1: (laughs) I I have a... I I actually have a big complaint about that episode that bothers me to this day. And it's that Blink-182 can somehow talk over themselves playing music. That's always bothered me so (laughs) much. I'm just like, why are you you doing that?
0: (laughs) I don't know. But, um... So Ian is running the room and we're working on a scene where, where Bart goes to hire the lawyer to uh, represent him in his suit against Homer. So they were like, well, who should, who should Bart's lawyer be? And, and, uh, so one of the writers mentioned, how about Gil? And he's like, Oh, Gil is good. And I, I honestly had no clue in the world who Gil was. So I just sat there and went, sure. Yeah. Why not? I had no clue who Gil was (laughs) no clue. Then, uh, Somebody said, what about Burns' lawyer? And he was like, yeah, Burns' lawyer. That would be good. Burns' lawyer would be good. And I'm such a moron. I said, why would Bart want to hire, you know, Mr. Burns' lawyer who works for Mr. Burns? He's like, um, we, we just call him Burns' lawyer. Yeah, but he works for other people. Like, like you moron. You know? <laughs> so I, I literally just shut up and didn't say another word, you know, felt like for like a couple of weeks. Right. Uh, but yeah, like that's the, blue, the blue-haired guy who looks like Roy Cohn. Yeah. <laughs> and he does work for everybody. So yeah. then it ended up being this guy we made up called Larry H. Lawyer, I think. Or is that the one?
1: Yeah, I That's think so.
0: one. I think Larry, Larry H. Lawyer. Anyway, so I have a lot of memories of working on that that episode. But I remember that day of like feeling like, wow, I, I'm in trouble. I better learn the names of who these who these people are, who these characters are.
1: Like you have a lot, a lot to catch up on. Yeah. Well, and th- and I actually really like hearing that because it's interesting. You hear about some people that came to the show and they were massive fans of it or whatever, but you were working on a lot of other shows. So I think it's interesting that, that you were like, yeah, I liked the show, but I wasn't a, you know, I didn't have time to be a huge fan. I had a lot of other stuff going on. So, right. you know, I'm curious, you know, you, but you still knew about the legacy of the show. You knew how big of a deal that it was. Certainly, yeah. Um, and and I'm sure it was really exciting to come to that, but also probably a little nerve wracking too. I'm sure that was kind of kind of weird.
0: Absolutely. Well, I believe at the time, right around that time, there were two things that I recall. One of them was a big story on CBS News or like CBS Sunday Morning or something about the writing staff of The Simpsons, where where the reporter came and hung out and and was sort of hanging out with them and, and you could see them walking in the room and everything. I was like, I'm going to be there soon. You know, so I remember like seeing who these people were, that was exciting. And then there was a story possibly in the New York times about it as well with a, with a, with a picture of everybody. I was like, I know that guy, I know that guy. That, oh my God. That's, that's what George Meyer looks like. That's what, you know, that's <laughs> what, whatever, you know, uh, and getting excited about that. And then around that same time, there was a big story in the New Yorker about George Meyer and, um, uh, the funniest people ever. Oh, my God. He's amazing. You know, so I was I remember being very particularly intimidated about him, about being in the room with him. Uh, When I started, he was no longer full time. He was working like, I think, one day a week on like Wednesdays or something like that. Um, But but to know that like I was pitching pitching a joke and like George Meyer was there and like if he laughed at it, it, it meant the world to me or if he didn't laugh at it. Sometimes he would make like a little, he would go like, (laughs) like that like uh, that's a stupid joke, whatever. And I'd be like, it's George Meyer, you know? Uh, And a similar thing happened um, because John Schwarzwelder wasn't working on the show full-time then, but he would write scripts. He would just come in, he had like so many amounts, he had like four scripts or so, between two and four scripts a year that he would just write. But he'd come in to what we call break the story, which is sort of pitch the story and then like sort of sit around and sort of hash it out with everybody. And then he'd go off and write. So I remember being in the being in the room with him a couple of times when he came in. To, the one story I remember him—it might have been the last one he did, which is uh, when they went to England with the ten thousand dollar bill and, uh. <laughs> and ended up with them going to England, called the Regina monologue. Yeah, uh, but I remember him coming in saying that he talked the whole—he pitched the whole story about Bart getting the ten thousand dollar bill and, and and having the museum for it and all that stuff, you know. And then we—it's a great one. Yeah, so it was really that was a real a real privilege too to be in a room with a guy like that. So I was certainly aware of the legacy of all that, and just the, just the legacy of it, of it all. And for me personally, too, just to be on a show that, like people had heard of, you know, because I I'd worked on all the other shows. Where I say, "Yeah, I'm on the show. It's called Homeboys in Outer Space or whatever," <laughs> you know, Teenage <laughs> Old. and they'd be like, "What? That's so you see The Simpsons." It's like, "Oh, everybody knows The Simpsons."
1: Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a that's it's cool to wear that jacket in public for sure. Um, no, it, actually,
0: this. It <laughs> <laughs> it's such a crazy jacket that nobody ever wears <laughs> i mean i have it it's in my closet but like i'm I'm sort of a modest person anyway you know because if you've seen the or you've seen it, i'm sure but if your listeners are seeing it it's a really cool i've always wanted to have a, a show jacket like that you know so i was excited to get it but it's covered in all these patches that they, they started the tradition of every year like adding another patch you know they they stopped doing that after like season whatever 13 or something but um right but it's a huge Colorful jacket, all these patches. You know, it's the Simpsons on the back, and I'm such a modest guy. Like, I would never like be like some walking around. Look at me, get a load of me. (laughs) Look at me, I'm a I'm a giant Simpsons asshole, whatever like that. You know, so uh, I hardly ever do it. But my son, who was young at the time, he was like, Dad, you got to wear the jacket. It's so cool. I was like, Okay, I'll wear it for you. So we went to to Comic Con one year when he was around ten. This was like 2006 or 2007. And he goes, you got to wear the jacket. I was like, okay. Comic-Con is one place where I think you can get, around, get away with wearing the jacket. Oh, 100%. And so, I, so I'm on the elevator uh, at the hotel, and I'm wearing it. And this guy goes, this guy goes, that's a cool jacket. I go, yeah, thanks a lot. And he goes, did you make it yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I'm on the show. Whatever, you know. Amazing. Anyway.
1: No, I, you know, not only have I seen the jacket, I, one thing I brag about a lot is, Years ago, I actually bought one of the original ones, like one of the first 75 made. And i oh, wow. it doesn't have all the patches on it. It only has BART. But I own the first like six patches in like pristine condition, not put on the jacket. So oh, that is so
0: cool! That is great. It's one
1: of my favorite things in my collection. I bought it from the former merchandising president Alavedia that worked there in the nineties. So, oh, Okay,
0: yeah, I'm really. It's a beautiful, beautiful jacket. Yeah, it's great. Uh, you know, you know who wears it a lot is like we have these premiere parties, which maybe someday we'll have a premiere party again. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and in recent years, they've had them outside uh, at Universal Studios, at where the where the Simpsons ride is. You know, here in L.A. And, um, so it's sometimes it's chilly, but, uh, uh, Joe Mantegna who plays fat Tony, he always wears a Simpson's jacket at the premiere parties. I'm always happy to see like, Oh, there he is. He seems like a great guy. He's such a sweetheart. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Very nice. That's awesome.
1: Well, you know, as, as someone, as someone who came to the show, you know, 13 ish years into its run, uh, what are, what is some, what are some things in your opinion that you think is, you know, has made the show last this long? Why is it special? What do you think?
0: Oh boy. Well, I mean, It's hard to say because I'm in the middle of it now, but uh, you know, I think the the bones were there from the beginning, you know, of just this, uh, first of all, this amazing world, these incredible characters that that have been developed over time and it's ever expanding, it's ever ever flexible, you know, like you can do any kind of story with them almost, uh, you know, and it's fun to do like the weird uh, different stories. So like we've had three episodes. Well, tonight, this is Sunday, uh, October eleventh, so uh, there'll be a third episode of the season is on tonight. But the first one was kind of a traditional Homer workplace episode with Mister Burns going undercover. Oh, I mean, it's a little crazy, but you know, yeah. And then last week's was this giant epic set in ancient Rome. You know uh, that you, you know I thought was incredible, really, really fun, really
1: fantastic,
0: loved it. Uh, and then tonight's episode is a trilogy episode all about art, and it's written by Dan Graney, uh, who was a uh, wow. knows a lot about art and. So through his filter, it's one of those old trilogy stories where the first story is about Lisa being uh, a, a a version of uh, Leonardo da Vinci called Lisa Leonardo da Vinci, <laughs> and uh, and then the second one is about uh, Bart and his buddies being kind of like uh, like Manet and uh, like Lusa track and the French impressionists, uh, which is really really fun. And then the third one is about Homer being Diego Rivera and and Marge being Frida Kahlo and and about the controversy over Diego Rivera's uh, commissioning by uh, Rockefeller to do the mural in Rockefeller Center.
1: Wow. Really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it's really great. It's really funny too, but it's, it's so fun that like you can do almost anything with them. Like the universe is is crazy. It just keeps, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's just sort of set up as a perpetual motion machine that continue with the times and adapt to the times and, and, uh, you know, it's not stuck in any one place, and I like that it's always moving forward. And so, we're doing things now that are about what's going on in the world now, and it's a it's a fun way to sort of still satirize what's happening in in the current world, and but also still stay true to these characters and some family stuff, and 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 at the heart of it, you know, I think it's like this alchemy or whatever you want to call it this melding of three sensibilities, you know, of Matt kind of Gonzo underground comic satirical. Uh, sensibility with his drawing, of course, but also his sensibility, and then then you have uh, Sam Simon, you know, who worked, worked for all the amazing shows Taxi and and Cheers, and like just comes from a great great TV comedy writing perspective. Also art, you know, he did, he, did, he designed a lot of the characters, and then on top of it is Jim Brooks, you know, who of course you know his work on you know Mary Tyler Moore and Taxi, but also his movies. In terms of endearment, you know, has this incredible story sense of character and emotion and heart, you know, that I think if you took one of those three out, it just wouldn't be the same. You know? So it's like kind of the, the sweet spot is a, is a really, really funny, really well-written, really funny, really subversive kind of look at life, but with an amazing amount of emotion and heart in the middle. And that's what makes it, I think, work and still yeah. continue to work.
1: Uh, That's a great, great answer, Mike. I love it. I love it. Um, Well, you know, I want to know too, and this is, this is sort of a hard question, but I think it's, it's fun to think on. Um, Where do you think the influence of a show like the Simpsons is most obvious? Like, what do you think it's true contribution to humor really is? Well, I mean,
0: it's hard to say. I mean, I think there's a certain style of I would call it Simpson type joke, you know, which, which I don't know if existed much before The Simpsons, but it, which I see a lot now everywhere, you know? I mean, uh, one, one place I think that is very, and I think, I think that uh, probably they would acknowledge it is like the Tina Fey style shows, like like 30 Rock or Kimmy Schmidt, you know? Right. When I watch that show, I mean, those shows are hilariously funny and super great, uh, but I think those are sort of written in what I would consider like the Simpsons style, you know, where the jokes are turning on themselves. And, you know, I think that's the main thing is I think that, that looking back at it, Prior to *The uh, Simpsons*, let's say, co- sitcom type writing would be what you'd call like setup punch, you know, where where the Ralph Cranston guy says the straight line and the Norton says <laughs> the joke or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, here's what I think. Well, yeah, here's what I think, you know, and, like that's where the joke comes, you know. And I think *The Simpsons* was one of the first places that sort of made an, ir- an, an ironic kind of thing where where it's funny, but it, people aren't necessarily doing jokes, you know. So it's not like like the characters. I mean, as funny as they are uh and you know homer and bart of all the characters are some of the funniest characters of all time right. but they're not necessarily like out there doing jokes you know they're not like they're not like z- throwing zingers at each other occasionally they do but for the most part they're uh, unironic ironically unaware of how stupid they are like especially homer like one of the great like one of the great examples i think is the in the, the gun episode the cartridge family when he says like you know, I want to buy this gun. And the guy's like, there's a five-day waiting brief. But I'm mad now. You know I mean? <laughs> that's, that's what's so great about that joke. You know, he's not, he's not aware of, like, whatever. I'm not going to explain the joke. But you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that, that's what I think is that's, that's the style of at least of comedy writing, of joke writing, that I think The Simpsons has really helped out. I mean, has influenced the most. I mean, it mean, then just opened the door, of course, for every other, uh, every other animated show. You know, like, there were, before The Simpsons, there were zero primetime animated shows, except if you go back to like the Flintstones or the Jetsons. but then after the Simpsons, then there was like an explosion of it. And then, you know, you could say, you could say like, it led to Family Guy, led to South Park. I mean, it led to all, you know, and then everything that's going on now with Netflix shows and even like Epstein's Family or BoJack, you know, like an adult animation. Was not a, really a thing until the Simpsons.
1: Yeah, I feel like I feel like its DNA is in everything that's come after it, in, in some form or another, like regardless of the the type of show. And you know, I really like hearing different writers from different eras give their their feelings on it because, you know, David Silverman said it uh, when I talked to him, and I loved the way he said it. It's like this perfect melding of all these things, and you sort of said it too. But you have all these different types of approaches to comedy coming together and you have all these hilarious voice actors, all these really funny people, and it sort of just was this perfect thing that shouldn't have been as perfect, but it just ended up that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, you go back to, like, the casting, you know, like, all those people just happen to be on the Tracey Ullman show, you know, Dan Castellaneta, uh, you know, and Julie, and, uh, I mean, they cast, like, Yardley and Nancy and Hank and all those other guys, but, like, Homer is just an amazing character, you know, and, you know, if Dan hadn't been on the Tracy Ullman show, there would have been someone else playing Homer and it might not have been as, as funny as it is now, you know, you, never, you don't know. No. So yeah, everything, all these things are kind of like that. You never serendipitous kind of things that, uh, that bring it about.
1: It's, it's, it's sort of crazy when you think about it, because I do believe that the main voice cast, well, really everybody on the show, but when you look at Dan, Julie, Yardley, Nancy, Hank, all Harry, all these people, I really can't, I don't think any of those people and of course you can't know it's a hypothetical, but I don't think these characters would ever be as funny. I don't think Marge would ever be as funny if it wasn't Julie. I don't think Dan, you know, Homer would ever be as funny if it wasn't Dan Lisa wouldn't right. be as intelligent and funny and quick if it wasn't Yardley. So it's just all these incredible things that come together to make the, you know, in my opinion, the greatest show ever. So.
0: <laughs> I think so too. I mean, yeah, it's, you could never know what it would be like, you know, a lot of things had to go right in order for this to, for it to work. The other thing that, that went right, was that it was on this new network fox where they were trying to make a splash and so you know they also um in in reaching out to work with Jim Brooks you know they knew they had like this amazing you know guy this amazing creator of amazing stuff and and uh and I believe I wasn't there but I believe either it was spoken or unspoken that like you know we're gonna do what we do and you just you just lay back and like let us do what we do I don't want to hear any notes from from some guy you know working in your office telling us how to write a story you know so they're like okay hands off and just from my own experience uh, working on a lot of other things you'll see a lot of a lot of great things start out great and then sometimes with the the uh, notes let's say from the network or the studio they get not so great so uh i i think it helped that that the simpsons were allowed to just do what they do without without a bunch of uh you know, people in in suits telling them what to do or not.
1: No, that's great. And that's actually a perfect lead into the next question, which I want to talk about some of your episodes and stuff. But before we do that, I want to know, uh, you know, what do you think as a writer uh, is most important when coming up with a, with a good story or a funny story or any story really?
0: Well, I think for me, it has to have some kind of big idea. Like I like to have like sort of like, there's usually like a germ of an idea that makes me laugh um or that interests me and then i sort of figured okay how can this be something turn into a thing you know so uh, the example i'll use uh it just so happens to be and i'm very proud of it was the episode that we won, won the emmy for uh last year called sad about the toy and anyway you know because we'll, we'll every year or so we'll around this time of year again it will be the time to sort of start thinking about like up stories for next year and we usually have a big um well, again, pre-COVID times, we'd have a big, big, big meeting uh, in a conference room where we'd all get to, get to get up and sort of do a little song and dance and sort of pitch the stories we wanted to do. So we're always kind of thinking, what, what is it going to be? What's it going to do? And, and I would keep notes occasionally through the years. of like, just like, this could be something, this could be something. And um, there's two episodes that turned out that came from, came from things that I thought about. Uh, and both of them came out of desperation where I was like, oh, I have, I have no idea. I have no story to pitch for next week. So I'll go back through my files and find some old crap. And, and both of those turned into really episode, fun stories that I liked. The first one was ended up becoming, being called Fats Corraldo, which was where Homer uh, uh, re- reconnecting with the hot dog stand from his youth. And it was all based on the idea of, of the movie Fitz Corraldo. Uh, they weren't a movie, Fitz Corraldo where the guy is pulling a, a steamboat over the uh, ama- over the mountains in the Amazon River. And I thought it would be funny if Homer had to pull a steamboat, whatever, some kind over a ri- over a hill. And I thought, what <laughs> if the steamboat, because there was, in L.A., there used to be a uh, like a chicken stand that looked like a steamboat. Uh, it was by Universal Studios. And I was like, what if Homer found an old chicken stand or an old hot tuck stand that looked like a steamboat, and he's pulling it over the mountains like this. <laughs> and then it turned into like, okay, why is he doing it? Why does he want to do this? You know, then it became the whole story about this his past connection to it as a kid and everything. So that was that one. But then the, the, this one with grandpa was literally me one day writing down. What if grandpa was the model for the green army men? Uh, So that was all that it was. And so then I was literally like pulling at straws. Like, like the the story day was coming up very soon. And I think I was busy on episode family or something too. So I was like, I haven't had time to really think about any, any great stories for the Simpsons. (laughs) So I was like, this one is good from like seven years ago this just a wisp of an idea, like grandpa's an army man. And so then I started thinking about, okay, why, why was he, What happened? You know, how did that happen? You know? So then it kind of, I, I just sort of like took it from there and like work worked backwards from why, why is this happening? And then forwards to what could that mean now? But it was all still based on that, like one, that one thought, you know, which made me laugh. <laughs> uh, and then, and then what happens is I pitched the story at the story day a couple of years ago and the original story of it had a different, the beginning of it was all the same, where Homer, uh, grandpa has these flashbacks and everything, and you think it's a war flashback, but it turns out it's him remembering being in a photographer's studio <laughs> getting his picture taken for the Green Army men. And then it became a whole thing where he, he decided to sue the company, and, and then that's where it changed. So my, original, my original pitch was that he sues the company, he wins, he wins all these back royalties, and now the company goes out of business, so he essentially owns the toy company now. And it was about like, what do you do now? How do you make war? How do you make army, army soldier toys in today's day and age? And, you know, Lisa had, a, Lisa had an idea. Bart had an idea. It became like this, war, this battle about what kind of war toy should we make?
1: Oh, wow. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. And I pitched it that way. And then, uh, and then that's, that's what's so great about Jim, again, is that he, he'll kind of zero in on like, what's the emotional thing about it? You know, so, so we said, I love the beginning of it. It's so funny, but then it got too big. Like, it's too big. Like, why would grandpa want a toy company? Like, let's, let's just zero in on something smaller, you know? And, 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 in the talking around of it, I'm not sure who came up with what we ended up doing, but it became this whole thing about that, you know, grandpa, the, the photographer misunderstood grandpa's intentions and thought he was coming out of him remote romantically right. and kissed him and became that whole story that it became, right. uh, and much, you know, a hundred percent better, of course, but, but it still came down from like me having that one idea that made me laugh. And like, I sort of, I'll try to hold on to those things no, that's, um, while I'm while writing a story.
1: That's great. Well, and you know, anyone listening to this, I'm going to say this a lot. I'm going to say it in every episode. I'm obviously a huge advocate for newer seasons. I don't really believe that the show gets bad uh, at a certain point. And I, you know, fell off for some years, like some people did, but going back and revisiting some of the seasons I missed, I find so much to love and there's like a lot of great stuff and i believe the show is still making great episodes today so i love hearing the background on stories like that that's really that's really funny and those are both really good episodes
0: oh thank you i'm very excited about a lot of stuff coming up this upcoming season too there's really got it i have an episode this year that will be on uh come out probably i think like in january or something like that that's that's another another little bit of a homer flashback thing at the beginning and And it involves uh, Homer's uh, previous. We never knew this until now, but when he was a teenager, he worked at a Chuck E. Cheese type uh, uh, with the robots singing, you know, pizza robots or whatever. You know, (laughs) it's it's about it's about his emotional connection to these to these uh, Chuck E. Cheese style pizza robots.
1: Wow! I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. Well. You know, I do want to talk about a couple of specific episodes, and I was going to touch sure. on, um, you know, a couple of the ones you spoke on, so I love hearing that background, but your first credited script is the first episode of what I consider a very underrated season, season 15, um, and it's the return wow. of Homer's mother, Mona. Right. Uh, what inspired that script or what made you want to revisit that, that story?
0: Well, that was, I mean, th- this goes back to, to like my first year or so on the show where I was felt like I was sort of flailing and, and not quite knowing the show and not understand, I do my best to get acclimated to it. So at the time, the way to get stories uh, approved, we didn't, we we hadn't started doing that big retreat thing, which was which actually they'd done at the beginning and then they started doing it again. But in this period of time, like the way to get a story approved would be to write it up as a one page thing and then send it in to Al. And he would say, oh, this sounds good or this doesn't. You know, so I, I remember sending that year, because even though it, it, it aired as the first episode, like you said, of season 15, it was during, it was made during the season 14 production time, right. you know. So anyway, I remember like sending in idea after idea, idea after idea after idea and like, no, no, this is whatever, not, you know. So, but Al's so sweet and so nice that he wanted everyone to have a a writing, get get a script on the show. So he said, Mike, he goes, Mike, let's, let's talk about a story for you. You know, he, it was his idea. He said, what if, what if Homer's mother came back? So I was like, sure. That's (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Let's do it. You know, but I did like it. I mean, it was great. And, and, uh, so that was his idea, uh, to have Homer's mom come back. And then his idea that originally she was going to really die. Like at the end, she was going to really, really die. But then we came up with that kind of fake out thing where she, she escaped and, and lived, lived another day. And then, then we all sat together and, like, you know, worked it out together and figured out, like, what happened and all that stuff. But then I was he was very much – I was sort of guiding through that entire process. And then I wrote the script, and then I turned it in. And um, literally, if you look at the finished thing on the screen, there's one thing from my original – my from my first draft that made it <laughs> into the show, which is the bit where um, it's when Homer is summoned – in this cryptic way to meet somebody at midnight under the bridge or whatever under the highway bridge (laughs) and then he's got that little uh flashlight and he goes ah ah, and then it's like the manny moan jack uh, billboard "Ah, ah, ah," that was it that's my only joke joke from my original script that made it onto the air wow but that's sort of like par for the course i mean i do a little better these days my batting average is a little higher maybe but not that much because every script gets you know gets worked on like over and over and over again right but anyway, that's, that's that one.
1: Yeah I, yeah. I, I love, again, another reason I love talking to writers is they are so quick to give everyone else credit. And, and I, I joked with Mike Scully cause he was like, Oh, well I can't really take credit. And I was like, Mike, no, you're taking the credit, you know? Uh, <laughs> but I, but I think that's really great. And I think that's another thing that makes the Simpsons so wonderful is it is this, you know, this, this mind meld of people that that want to make everything else funnier. So I love yes, that. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so you also wrote a Christmas episode in season 15, as you can tell, I really love season 15. Um, yeah. Uh, called tis the 15th season. It's great. Yeah. Uh, which is not exactly a yearly tradition to do a Christmas episode like it is a Treehouse, but there are quite a few.
0: No, there's, there's quite a few. Yeah. yeah. That was fun to do. That was a, that was another one that was sort of half handed to me by Al as well, which I think he said, let's do a Christmas episode. And like, you want to write it, Mike. And he knew that I was really familiar with all the old, um, specials like Rudolph and Mr. Magoo and all that stuff that we ended up, you know, parodying in there. So, uh, as again, that was Sim sort of saying like, Hey Mike, do you want to write this one? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> let's do it. You know? And then I believe the idea about Homer, Homer and Ned getting in like a, a battle about who could be a, a better person came from Kevin Curran came from an idea that Kevin had pitched at, at an earlier point that didn't get into the script that he had done. So Al was like, Oh, well Kevin had this idea about Homer and, Ned like you know competing over who could be more whatever a better person or more (laughs) more generous whatever so that became that part of the story you know but but the stuff that we ended up working on like the stuff that I'm really proud of that episode is is like all the parodies and that song the convoy song and everything (laughs) and, and everything I really I really enjoyed that that whole episode a lot that was that was the first episode when I wrote the script where I felt like, okay, now I, I think I understand what a Simpsons script is. And the, the, one, the one speech in there that I really liked that I think didn't change a whole lot, but is the thing at the end when they're all there in front of City Hall and they want to start like singing Christmas carols and the mayor says, no, 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 you can't, no religion here. And Homer says that kind of homer speech where he's like, let's just say that a million years ago on this day, a dude was born that some people think was magic. And some people don't, and that's cool, but we're probably right. like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I, think that, I think that sort of made it more or less the way I wrote it in, in, in from my draft into the show. I was yeah.
1: just, I made a note because I love that. That's one of my favorite jokes in the whole episode. It kills me every single time, just the way Homer says it and everything about it is so great. The other thing in the, the episode that kills me, this literally destroys me every single time. I don't know why is when Homer is explaining the story of Scrooge. Like he's telling like, Oh, there's, I watched the show and there's the three ghosts. And just when he says, and get this, he learns a lesson. <laughs> right. It absolutely kills me every time. It's so hit the way he says well, it, the way and the joke is great, yeah. but the way he says it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's Homer too. Like Homer's such a big kid. Like, a, <laughs> you know, like he's so in many ways, he's so naive and everything. That's such a great, yeah. I love that. I love that too. <laughs>
1: um, well, you know, you talked on, you talked about some of the other episodes. So we'll, you know, it's, you've worked on a ton of great stuff on the show, Mike. I like, I think every, a lot of your scripts are, are some of the best moments in some of the later seasons. I think there's some really good ones. And, but aside from that, you also wrote on a lot of other shows. Like we talked about, you know, I, Real Monster is great. The PJ's, great. You also worked on the Lego Star Wars series as well. Um, what was it like working on that sort of stuff in contrast to the Simpsons?
0: Well, the Lego stuff has been such a – that was such a fun thing to have come into my life because I've always been a huge uh, Star Wars fan. And to do anything connected with Star Wars was a real treat. And then to work with the people at Lego who were really good. And I felt like the sensibility, the Lego sensibility um, lent itself to a kind of a Simpsons-ish style kind of writing so that came about because, you know, they'd done the Lego Star Wars games and there were like cut scenes from those games that were funny, that were released as little shorts. And they said, we want to do like a half hour special. So I got a, a call from my agent saying, you know, they're interested in this. They, they, and they were just solicited ideas. So like they had, had, they had ever wanted to submit, uh, write just like a one, one or two page kind of idea. And I, the, the one, I, one I submitted was the one they chose, which became called the Padawan Menace, which was about uh, these kids on a field trip You know, during the Clone Wars and and an adventure with Yoda and all this stuff, and they went for it. I was like, "Oh, that's great!" You know. So then I got to go, and I I, what an exciting that time was because I got to fly up to uh, to San Francisco and meet with um, everybody at Lucasfilm in their offices in um, San Francisco, and uh, which is uh, on this campus, the Presidio campus, and that's where ILM is based there. And so uh, I remember like walking through this guy's office and like looking at all on the walls were like matte paintings from every Star Wars and like, you know, all the ships were hanging and teased bicycle was hanging from the ceiling. And, uh, <laughs> it was amazing. And then, and then to meet with the people there and there's an amazing guy who was there, whose name is Howard Rothman, who was like the vice president of licensing. And, and he sort of rode, he was the Lucasfilm guy on, on these shows. And his, his spirit was kind of like, just have fun with it. Just go crazy, whatever, you know, because it's Lego. It doesn't matter. It's not really happening. You know, these aren't real this isn't real, you know. It's just Lego stuff, and so um, they let me do it. And uh, he was fantastic. So I mean, I, I, the one difference was that, like, as opposed to being a, 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 with a Simpson script, you know, you're, you're working with like a dozen other hilarious people, punching it up. Although it was basically just me, um, and they would give notes, uh, and I would rewrite it. But I didn't have like a room, like a great room to turn to. <laughs> I was my own room, but uh, it was fun. But I think that I like to think that the sensibility was very similar like writing it in a Simpsons kind of style for a lot wow. for most of those shows.
1: Yeah. That's really cool. Well, anyone that's never, you know, dove into the the scripts, Michael has his name on or just other stuff he's done. You should definitely do that. Like I said, our real monsters. I, I loved as a kid. I thought the animation style was, you know, so, so fun to look at. And I feel like it's yeah. packed full of jokes. It actually holds up really well. So that's always worth revisiting. Well, uh, towards the end of these to close them out, I do like to talk about merchandise a little bit. Um, sure. you know, and, and since you said that you weren't, you know, following the show crazy close in the nineties, I doubt you were, you know, in the line buying the Bart shirt or any of that. But no. after you came to the show, did you, did you keep up with the merchandise at all? Did you buy any at all to keep in your house? Yeah, or? I got
0: some stuff. I think when I first started too, we were so excited that my wife went back Christmas because I knew, I knew I'd gotten the job. So that was the, the that first Christmas was like, I got a lot of Simpson stuff for Christmas. So. Uh, I got a bunch of um, uh, whatever figures.
1: The Playmates? They're like in the yellow packaging? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. But then, but then you could buy these environments to put them in, like Moe's yep. Bar and the Quickie Mart, I think. And, and I think there might have been a thing where they could talk or something. I remember getting the Moe's Bar. and Yep,
1: they have the little microchips and all that. Yeah,
0: right. So I remember that. I had a bunch of those. Um, I have a bunch of Christmas ornaments that I, we still put on our Christmas tree every year. The ones that are um, they are like a little circular base. With like a tree on it, and like a little scene, and then you put the you put the little Christmas light through the hole in the base, and it makes the it makes the Christmas tree light up from within.
1: Oh, I love so that. There's,
0: there's one of like Bard putting a star on the tree, or the dog, or there's like three or four of those. So I, I have those. We put them on the on the tree every year.
1: They've made they've made some really great Christmas ornaments. I that's the thing that I feel like even some collectors might not realize. There are so many Simpsons Christmas ornaments. In fact, they made like a whole Christmas village that lights up. They made like a whole Christmas train that's ceramic. There's Uh, a lot of Simpsons Christmas stuff, but the ornaments, I have a little mini tree uh, in my room that's covered in Simpsons ornaments. There's so many good ones. Uh,
0: Yeah, those are great. And then just over the years, like I I wrote copy for uh, occasionally, they would hire me to just do like little things here and there. So uh, a couple years ago for the 20th or 25th anniversary, they put out a bunch of uh, figures of like uh, Mark Hamill and um, I forget who else. Uh,
1: Aerosmith, like world, Tom Petty. Aerosmith and, of them,
0: yeah. yeah, those. So then I wrote like the little box copy on the back of those. Oh, nice. For, for, for Denise Sircott, you know, who runs the licensing. So then uh, I got a few of those just for fun. And the, one I, the other one I have, like, I have to ask him someday to sign is the Mac Rainey one. So I, I hope to get him to sign that someday. But uh, that's a really good one.
1: Yeah, I like that they made those the same scale as the Playmates ones you spoke about, so they actually look really nice with those, too.
0: Yeah, those are good. Yeah, those are fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, Michael, um, you know, I want to know anything else you got coming up other than if it's for family or just anything you're working on that you want to talk about. It was awesome to to have you on, man, so, you know, tell people what to do, where to find you, all that.
0: Yeah, uh, well, I'm on Twitter. I don't do Instagram. I don't understand Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm an old man, but i uh, uh, on Twitter. At my Twitter handle is Mike Price in LA. All one thing, and then I also, uh, you know, Officer Family. We're we're busy making preparing season five right now. Like I said, it'll be on Netflix around uh, around Thanksgiving of uh, next year probably. And there's an Officer Family kind of writers account, which is FIFF Netflix, and that's where we'll all end up putting like some behind the scenes things as we start as we go into production. And then I, I just, you know, I'll probably end up like the the, um, the writing process of this episode family season will continue around through the beginning of December. And then uh, all, all things hopefully working out, I'll go back to The Simpsons after that and, and then we'll see what happens there. Uh, but I think this, I think this upcoming season, The Simpsons has some really, really great stuff.
1: Oh, I, I totally agree. I've, I've loved the first uh, two episodes. I'm really excited about the one tonight and uh yeah you know michael again thanks a lot for coming on man i had a blast i'll have to we'll have to do this again sometime
0: yeah sure thing warren thanks so much it was really fun
1: if you enjoyed this podcast check out the official instagram at simpsons is greater than or follow me on twitter at simpsons is great if you're curious about me or my simpsons collection just search for of darkness on instagram and twitter thanks again for checking this out i'll see you next week